hear over there, Jen? Can you hear me over there? Okay. Ron Farns Wagon. It's good to see you here. I'm blessed to be here. Praise God. <laughs> We're blessed that you're here. I saw a t-shirt for sale a few weeks ago. And on it, it said, the first rule of 2021, don't talk about 2020. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. That's how a lot of us feel. We're just glad to get it over with. We think that the best we can do is forget about it. And we're going to, but not before we get something out of it. We have to get something out of this, guys. This was, for many of us, the worst year of our lives. Filled with stress, uncertainty, with loss. It's a mistake not to get something out of the enemy's attack. The enemy's attack is to rob us of everything he possibly can and leave us with nothing to take out of the bad experience. That's a net loss. But if we can learn from what we've been through, then it's not wasted. No trial is wasted if it's turned into a lesson. Trials are redeemed when they're turned into lessons, and we come out of it because we've grown. We grow through these things. So we've got a few questions to ask about 2020 before we just dismiss it. When we look back at 2020, it's really easy to say, 2020, what's the point? That's the title of this message. 2020, what's the point? As if there is no point. Does it even have a point? How can I accurately evaluate this year of troubles and disappointments? Through what lens should I view 2020 before it's over? And when you think about it, in any situation, in any experience you have as a Christian, it may be viewed through three lenses, three, maybe four possible lenses, possible agendas, possible viewpoints of what was the point of that experience. Just to keep your attention and keep you awake, if you're falling asleep in the sun, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to get you involved in this, this message. Now, I'm not going to tell you those three agendas. You tell me. Through what three agendas or viewpoints can we view any experience we have to analyze it, to say what was the point of that? What are those agendas? View character. No. Nice try, Francisco. That's the stupidest answer I've ever heard. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I will. Thank you, Ron. Will I define agendas? Yes. Viewpoints, perspective. Three main perspectives of how you can evaluate the experiences you're going through. Three perspectives. I'm going to give you a hint. They respond to three different personalities, persons. That's a nice try on the Trinity. He's absolutely wrong. 
But he got one of them right. Hint, 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 hint. He got one of them right. He said, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And together we call that Trinity. What do we call that Trinity? God. All right. The first viewpoint or perspective through which you can analyze your experience is through God's viewpoint. Hello. Now there's two more remaining. The devils. You can also view your circumstances through his perspective. And that leaves one. Your own. Your own. Now there is, there is another one. We're not going to deal with it today, but the other one is through the lens of other people's perspectives about you. And sadly, much of the time we live evaluating our personality and our worth and our purpose through what other people think about us and their perspective for us. That's a shame. But we're just going to deal with the three main ones today. Three viewpoints or agendas regarding your experience. God's agenda, Satan's agenda, and your own agenda. Does this make sense? Okay now, what's the problem? There's three viewpoints. God's, the enemies, and your own. What's the problem? Hmm? The problem is that the right ones don't overlap often enough, and the wrong ones overlap almost all the time. Listen, if you're evaluating your experience through your own eyes, you have your own wisdom to rely on. Guys, has your own wisdom ever failed you? Have you ever found that as you analyze something through your own perspective, what you ended up with at the end of it was more confusion and really, really bad decisions? Right? Who hasn't had that experience? Or, I mean, that's bad, okay? That's really bad because it doesn't function. But what's worse is when your viewpoint happens to coincide with Satan's viewpoint about your life. And you're buying into his thoughts and his agenda, and now, now you don't just have your own dumb human mistakes that you're making in your own judgment. You have that mess supercharged by a truly evil agenda for you. Big mistake. But what happens when you begin seeing your experience through God's eyes, through His lens? How does that change your life? What are these three agendas? What do you want? When you judge your life through your own experience, what's the criterion that you apply to that experience through your own judgment. Do you guys find that distracting? <laughs> Not at all. That's because you're viewing this church experience through the lens of your stomach, Francisco. That's why you don't find it distracting. When you analyze your own human experience through your own eyes, what's the question you're usually asking yourself? 
When you focus on yourself in this situation, you can become either very proud or very, very discouraged. And oftentimes, the criterion we use to apply when we analyze our experience through our own eyes is, was it pleasant or not? Therefore, 2020 through our own eyes is a complete and utter waste of time. And the sooner we get over it, the better, because it was deeply unpleasant. What was God's perspective for 2020 in your life? What was his goal for 2020 in your life? What was it? Come on, people. What is God? What does he care about for you? What does he want to see happen in every one of your human experiences, whether pleasant or unpleasant? What's his goal? For us to become more dependent on him. What else? Intimacy with him. He wants every experience, whether negative or positive, to result in us becoming closer to him, knowing him more deeply, loving him more intimately, serving him more faithfully. He sees your life through the lens of a relationship with him. Look, if he sees your life through a relationship with him, there is no tragedy that can happen to you that can't improve your relationship with him because you end up hungering for him more. You end up crying out for him more. You yearn for him more. I had a friend, actually he was my mentor and he was caught smuggling Bibles into Russia back in the 60s. They put him in a Soviet prison. He never saw his uh, anyone from the embassy. They never let the embassy know. He spent months in a Soviet prison. He didn't know whether he would live or die. One day they came to his cell and they said, you're coming with us, and they put him in a car, and they didn't tell him where, they were, where he was going, and he thought they were taking him out to kill him. They took him to the border. They said, leave, don't ever come back. He told me the story because I asked him a question. I said, I didn't even know about this. I didn't even know this was part of his experience. I asked him a question. I said, what time in your life were you closest to God? You know, the answer is when he was in that Soviet prison. There is no, there is no experience that cannot bring you closer to God. And there is no experience that cannot push you further away from him. Depending upon the eyes and the lens through which you judge the experience. How you respond. How you choose, choose, Chris. How you choose to see the experience. Through whose eyes are you going to see the experience? Usually our, our agenda is end the suffering as soon as possible because it's unpleasant. Let me ask you something, people, come on. In your relationships with God, think about your times with God, your relationships with God. When did you grow most as a Christian? Was it through good times or was it through bad times? It was through bad times. Ditto. I feel that. It's true. 
Our own agenda is usually to avoid pain and God's agenda is to use the pain to, to make something better in our lives. Now, what's the enemy's agenda in every one of your negative experiences? What's his agenda? Ron said to get us to grumble and complain and grumble and complain and grumble and complain. That's step one of his agenda. What's the purpose of getting us to do that? What's his end game? To get mad at God and have disillusionment with our God and drive us apart. The enemy's agenda, no matter what it may look like on the surface, it only has one real purpose, to separate you from the love of your heavenly Father. To drive a wedge between you and the only source of help that you really have. Here is the heart of God's... Oh, listen to this, people. Listen to this. This is from Scripture. This is the heart of God's agenda. you got to love this. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. Now, that's great, isn't it? Into God's love. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love. Second Thessalonians 3.5 but that's not the end of the verse. Here's the end of the verse. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. I wanted the first part of the verse. I don't want the second part of the verse. The second part of the verse is really hard. I mean, guys, Christ's perseverance. Where did Christ's perseverance take him? to the cross to his own death may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance and my brothers and sisters you know you guys know this one my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of any kind consider it nothing but joy are you serious God because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, which is also translated endurance. And let perseverance have its full effect. In other words, don't stop persevering. Let it have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And that's James 1, 2. God's agenda in our crisis is twofold. The first and the most important that we experience his love. That we don't become distant from his goodness. That we keep on believing he's good no matter what situation we're in. That we keep on coming to him for help. That we say, Father, I'm in real trouble. I need an experience of your love. You've got to touch me with your love. But beyond his love, they will grow in perseverance. They will grow in a people who have endurance. That don't give up on him. And this verse is telling us without perseverance, we can't be complete and mature as Christians. That's why we can value our trials. That's why we can look at the trial and say, there's something in this trial 
that if I persevere with God through this, I'm going to be a far better person afterwards than I was before. I've told you guys this so many times, you're getting sick of it. But listen, when you go through these trials and you don't quit, you end up liking you better after the trial than you liked who you were before the trial. Seriously. I look back over the years of suffering in my life, of which there are a lot. It was hard. But when I look at the results, I say, I wouldn't have got to who I am today any other way. And I like me now better than I liked who I was then. That's a joy. That's a real great joy. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Now let's look at Satan's agenda. Is suffering. He is using suffering to separate you from God's love. He wants to destroy your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. And listen, he also wants to separate us from one another. How many times have you noticed someone disappears from church? They just disappear. One day they were there, the next day they were gone, and about six months or a year later, they come back and you say, man, it's really good to see you again. Um, where were you? Well, I was going through some really bad times. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, I, I, uh, it was really, really bad there. I been alone for a long time. Why did you leave? This is when you needed us most. Why did you leave? Because some sense of failure, some sense of letting God down, some sense of shame about the suffering they're going through, and they're not, they're not going through it the way they think they should. They're not as full of faith as they think they should be. So they run away in shame, and they're by themselves, and they're being destroyed. The time we need the fellowship most is not when we're doing well. It's when we're in real serious pain. Then we need our brothers and sisters. And Satan just wants to separate you from your brothers and sisters as well as separate you from God. Guys, when you see somebody disappear, phone them. I haven't seen you for a while. What's going on in your life? Are you all right? Can we do a lunch or something? Can we get... Don't, don't let them slip away. Don't let them fall under the enemy's lies and under his spell. This is true. Why? Because we, we, God wants to direct us into the love of the Father. But listen, the love of the Father often comes through the love of the brothers and sisters. He doesn't, he doesn't mediate His love directly all the time. It's nice. We always want that. But a lot of the time, it comes through the fellowship, through the brothers and sisters, through our relationships with our Christian family. They're precious. They're sacred. Their grace, their means of God's power into our lives. Now, there's a great lie that Satan wants you to believe. It's his number one lie. He uses it all the time. It is there in every suffering situation, and we must recognize it and deal with it. He wants you to believe one of two things. It's always one of two things. Number one, God isn't powerful enough to fix this mess. Or God is not loving enough to fix this mess. 
When you're in a crisis, it's not resolved. You got a dilemma in your thinking. If God was all powerful and I'm not being helped, it means he doesn't love me enough. If God is all loving and I haven't been helped yet, he's not powerful enough. It's, you go with one or the other. And Satan doesn't care which lie you believe as long as you believe one of them. If he was all powerful, he'd fix me. And if he's all powerful, then he's not loving enough to fix me. Or if he's all loving, then he's not powerful enough to fix me. And it's hard. It's, it's a great temptation in those lies. Pick one, he says. As if you have to pick one. Who says you have to pick one? Why can't God be all-powerful and all-loving at the same time, but I haven't experienced it all yet? How about the story isn't over yet? How about the last chapter hasn't been written? How about in the middle of this dilemma trying to cope with these lies, God is actually working something deeper in me of faith that will cling and persevere to him no matter what? Maybe he'll make me so tenacious that the next time suffering comes along, I'm not going to buy into either one of those lies. There's a psalm, guys. It's absolutely brilliant. It goes like this. One thing God has spoken, but two things I have heard. That you, O oh God, are, are powerful and that you, O oh God, are loving. This is profound thinking. This psalmist has tapped into the very nature of God. God is at the same time all-powerful and he is all-loving. One thing God has spoken, this is his true nature. Two things we hear. You're either one or the other when I'm in trouble. No, he's both. And his redemption through your suffering is to make you stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger so that by the time it comes to face the end, you're not living in fear. You're living in trust and faith. And you're going to make it. And then you can take that trust and faith and you can give it to other people and help them to get through these things. Now, thirdly, our agenda, let's get honest about what it is to be a human being. We have our agenda that we bring to our suffering, and it's really simple. Stop the pain, get me out of this, make the suffering stop. That's our agenda. But the problem is, what if I cannot become all I need to become to enjoy him most without going through 2020? What if my knowledge of him and enjoyment of him is related to getting through 2020 with him? What if I can't be complete without that experience? It's not just getting through the trials of 2020. It's growing through the trials of 2020. Because ultimately, all we take into heaven is who we are the moment before we die. I'm going to digress for a minute, get into something that might rattle your cage. 
There are many rewards in heaven. There's mansions and gold streets and really reliable sports cars for all of us. You need special tires because the streets are made of gold. And there's all sorts of things, but listen, the greatest gift in heaven is that you've become all you can be and your character is ready for heaven because of what you've lived on through on earth. What if What if all we are is mirrors? What if God designed us as mirrors that we are to receive his glory and we are to reflect it perfectly to those around us? Back in the day when Paul wrote about we see through a glass darkly, he was talking about mirrors and they didn't make them out of glass. They made, it, made them out of metal. And they take that metal and they take an abrasive on that metal and they just polish it and polish it with a finer and finer abrasive constantly until it is perfectly smooth and bright and it reflects the image perfectly. What if we are mirrors and our glory in heaven is not about the great things we've done and how special we are, but it's about the degree to which we perfectly reflect the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. What if your greatest reward when you get there is that you, as perfectly as, is, as was possible through your life, you came to a place where you're so polished, so rubbed, so abraded, so scraped on, that you reflect him so perfectly in heaven, your greatest joy is experiencing that. What if that's the purpose of life? What if that's the glory of heaven? Then everything that happens to you is part of that process of polishing and refinement. And listen, as you live before you get to heaven, you're also reflecting his glory right now. You're reflecting his character to the people around you. You're becoming a better and better, more accurate mirror of him. Is it possible that that could be his agenda? Because if it is, it gives meaning to absolutely everything in our life, every experience has a purpose. Okay, so here's the questions for discussion. Number one, and this is like, this is, this is, uh, this requires that long look inside. All these questions involve that long look inside and maybe today you can't answer them, but you can take these questions home with you and you can you can lay them down before the Lord and you can say, help me answer these questions because I want a purpose in 2020 and I want clear vision when I go into 2021. First question, what have I learned through the crisis of 2020? Guys, it was a lesson. It wasn't just a tragedy. It was a lesson too. What have I learned through 2020? Number two, 
How has 2020 changed how I see myself? It isn't just about how I see God, it's about how I see myself. Number three, how has 2020 changed how I see God? See, Satan's agenda is that it will change how you see God. So let's be honest. How do I see God as a result of 2020? How has 2020 affected my faith? How has it affected my belief about God and about myself and about my Christian faith? Five. Good question. Yeah, it was four. Five. How does God want to use the trials of 2020 to make me more mature and complete? Six. What is God's lesson for me that redeems the trials? Seven. How do I choose to, lo to live? How do I choose to live differently in 2021? And to remind you, the only wasted suffering is the one we do not learn from. The ones we learn from are transformed from suffering into lessons. Okay? All right. Group leaders. I've got the questions for you here, so you don't have to remember them. John, you're going to lead a group, right? Sure. Shelly? Oh, these questions are also on Facebook on the church's webpage if you want to work this at home. Shelly's going to lead a group. John's going to lead a group. Mark's going to lead a group. I'm going to lead a group. Uh, the kids, the youth are going to go through the same questions. So, Shelly, if you would hand those out. So, John gets one. Uh, Mark gets one. Uh, Chris gets one, Shelly gets one, and I think that'll do it. So you don't have to join a group, but if you want to join a group, give you a really good opportunity to work through these uh, with your brothers and sisters.